Hi, everybody. You are listening to the latest episode, episode 23 of the Korean American Parenting Podcast, which was a live clubhouse recording taking place on Tuesday, March 23rd. Thanks for joining. And here now is the episode. Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. My name is Jerry Wan. I am one of our two uh, co-host and my co-host and partner is Jang Cho, who is a child psychiatrist. And so we do this monthly and we are going to be asking her some questions, checking in uh, just to see how everybody's doing. And so we know that a lot of people are uh, still um, going through a lot, uh, both mentally and emotionally and, and physically as well, as we try to make sense of all that's happened. And um, while the news media may have focus particularly finally on what happened in Atlanta a week ago now. Uh, we know that our community has been suffering for a long time, um, most of it quietly. And as parents, um, as, as, as parents of young people particularly, um, we're, we're stuck in the middle. And, and I say that because we have to take care of not only our kids, but worry about our parents as well. Dr. Cho and I are going to be talking for a little bit, and if you have any questions, uh, we will welcome questions throughout the show. Um, and then, just for the sake of keeping the show's uh, production on on its uh, on time, uh, we ask you to jump into my Instagram DMs. You can click on my face, go all the way to the bottom, head over to Instagram, and shoot me a DM there if you have any questions, and we will get to your questions as much as we can. Um, Topically speaking, although all things are welcome, uh, we would like to prioritize questions based on how we deal with conversations around what has happened, uh, both to our children and both to our parents. And, and we understand that those two are um, equally important, yet very different and unique challenges that we as um, a parents face. And I, I will say, even though our show is called Korean American Parenting and Jang and I are both Korean American, um, we believe and we hope that a lot of the topics that we are talking about will be resonant to you, um, whether or not you identify as a Korean American. So, uh, Jang, how, how have you been the last week? Well, hi, everybody. Um, thank you for coming, first of all. Um, to answer your question, Jerry, I'm better today. Um, I think all last week after um, the incident in Georgia, um, I was really running on adrenaline. Um, there were a lot of things going on um, within my community, um, also with my co, uh, you know, um, 
other child psychiatrists that I work with um, that are mostly Asian Americans, and there were a lot of work to be done. And so it, it was kind of like my coping mechanism to go, go, go. And um, at the end of the week, um, when we hit the weekend, it was kind of like going back and knowing um, how I felt was hasn't been processed. Um, and then the weekend was really um, difficult, especially weekends are my time with my child. Um, and I was very short. I just couldn't uh, engage with her. I just wanted to be left alone. But of course, that doesn't happen with a four-year-old. Um, and uh, at the end of it all, I think it was because, you know, everything that's happening has been weighing me down and I didn't take a kind of a quiet time to myself to, you know, calm my brain, um, per se. Just yesterday, I had a processing group with fellow child psychiatrists that I work with. Um, it was purely a safe space. We can talk about our feelings. And that has really helped me to have a little bit more perspective and also get some more sleep. Um, so, yes, uh, long story short, I'm feeling a little better. Thank you. That's glad to hear. Um, what, what are some... Uh, questions or topics that uh, ha have been circulating around your community, um, not only with your patients, perhaps, but with fellow Asian American psychiatrists and other doctors uh, with whom you, you, you speak to daily. Um, what, what are some topics and what are some concerns or even some uh, silver linings that you are hearing and talking about? Well, I think, um, you know, this week I've been getting a lot of phone calls from both um, colleagues and um, other Asian Americans who are looking for a um, safe place to process these things and even seek out uh, their individual therapy. Um, and of course, there's multiple details that are different for different people. But I think the overarching theme is that a lot of people have told me that what they have experienced as a child, Asian American child, all the things that I thought it was all gone or I thought I got over or I thought it wasn't a big deal, um, now it's coming up to the surface and it's been very triggering week for them um, and even for psychiatrists. And um, also what I'm hearing is that now I am questioning, but also trying to figure out what is my place or role in this world. Um, and in this world, meaning um, in my family, at my work, but also in America. And what, it, you know, what kind of space and role am I filling? And what do I want to fill in the end? So a lot of questioning of identity, where we've been uh, where we have been and where we are now and wh where we will be. I think those are the questions that I get a lot these days. And, and how, and what are your thoughts related to that? What, I, I know there is not a magic answer to any of this, but, um, let, let, let's first focus on sort of, um, as, as parents of, uh, toddlers, as you and I both are, they're, they're, maybe too young to understand fully what's going on. Um, this, you know, in addition to having had to explain them for a year, why we can't leave the house or they can't go back to school. 
Um, how, how do we tell our young children about what's been going on? That's a really big question. Um, I think I'm a big believer in um, letting the children know what's really out there and what's happening in the world. Now, that has to be age appropriate. Um, and so, you know, um, I'm a mother of a very young child. She's only four. Um, so I try to thread that thin line where I want her to know that there are things that are not quite right and happy in the world. But also at the same time, I don't have to expose her to everything and all the things that's uh, happening right now. So, for example, we have discussed, well, I mean, in the past year, we have discussed coronavirus at length. Um, she, I was very surprised how much she actually retained. So she knows what the coronavirus is and people do get sick from coronavirus. Um, and the way to avoid it is to have a safe distance from each other, wear masks. Um, and that's why she can't go to school yet. Um, we kept her home, but also she can't travel to see our family and friends. She also knows that there is vaccination happening. And when people are, when enough people are vaccinated, then when uh, things will get better, not quite to the um, maybe normal. But she was able to ask me, like, I, you know, we, we have talked about, we're going to send you back to school, um, probably most likely in the summer. And the first thing she asked was, well, uh, are people all vaccinated? Um, so I was very taken back because <laughs> that's the question in the quote that she actually um, asked. So we talked about that. Um, we don't necessarily talk about the details of what COVID-19 can do physically or illness, but we do tell them, tell her that, you know, that, uh, people can get really sick or even die. In terms of what's happening right now um, with anti-Asian racism, uh, even with Black Lives Matter, we talked a lot about um, race and color of our skin, um, even before all this happened. Um, there are many books that um, we read on purpose. And we we did talk about when, when people look different, sometimes people treat others differently and people can be mean. Um, all, we now have, in the past month or so, talked a little bit about being, what it means to being Korean American and Asian American, and and how it can uh, bring up other people to be mean, and that. Um, but we also emphasize, well, this is not your fault. It is not the fault of our color of our skin, and we also talk about what to do when these things might happen to her. Um, it's a lot. I think it's a lot, but it's, uh, you have to do it at doses and on an ongoing basis. Um, I think the worst thing that I can do as mom is to shield her from everything and say nothing is happening. Because then, um, you know, when, when she does go back to school and or in the world and face these discrimination, I think that'll be kind of no point of no return, right? You have to have uh, skills to be able to deal with these kind of things. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, follow up to that though, Jang, uh, because I think explaining the virus is 
to to me a more uh, objective, science based, logical conversation that even I've, you know, that that my wife and I have had with our uh, older child. Right, um, people are sick, therefore we are staying home. If we stay home, we get better. There are vaccines. Mom and dad both got their shots, and, and so forth. Racism can't be explained logically. How, how do we do that? Um, and, and and share with us your thoughts on preventative conversations or pre-conversations and post-conversations. Because um, well, you, how how do you do that with your child, Jerry? I'm not the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we, we, to be frank, we haven't cause I, I, I don't know. It, it frightens me. I get emotional. Um, you know, yeah, uh, so- you know, I think, I think that's the problem, right? Like, I think, um, I think this, these are, um, issues that we ourselves have not have had resolution on, right? There's no resolution on this. And this is quite ongoing and very triggering moments right now because things are so unsteady and quite volatile. And so this is a very difficult time uh, for us parents um, to talk about these issues. Um, And some of the people that I talk to talk about how it can be very trauma, uh, like it is trauma and triggering for them. when your child um, is discriminated against um, in, at, say, for example, at school, then all your thoughts go back to when you were in, in elementary school and had those moments, right? Um, and we, we talk a lot about how parent, as a parent, um, what I want to do is to give my child what I didn't have as a child. Um, and that also means that I don't want her to experience things that might have been detrimental to my childhood. And one of them is racism. Um, and when when your child experiences it, it's like it feels like a failure on your own, on your parenting, right? Because you couldn't protect your child. Um, so there's a lot of trauma and a lot of like feelings and emotions that. Um, go back and forth when um, these things happen and you have to talk about it with your child. I think number one thing we have to do is, um, uh, well, self-care, right? Like, for example, this week I was not, I mean, this, that last week I was not equipped to talk about any of these things with my child because I was very brutal. Um, but maybe we can have this conversation when I myself is not as brutal. And we can also have these conversations, not in maybe in real time, um, but especially my child who's four, like we talk about it in a sense of like movies and books. um, And so that the concept can be um, something that she can understand. It doesn't always go the right way when I make a in real life example. So, you know, um, we talk about Zootopia. <laughs> um, and I don't know if you, anybody has seen Zootopia, but it's very a lot like what's happening right now, um, especially with the Black Lives Matter when it, uh, when it was going on. So um, I 
have to go down to her uh, level of understanding and level of um, what she, in her world, Disney and movies and books are what she's, how she's going to understand the world. So we can talk about those kind of things um, through those lenses. Thanks for that. Um, uh, it's about the topic of fear. How, how do you bring up fear with kids without scaring them and, and, know, and let them know that that is an okay emotion to have and, and to process that? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because I think, um, I think when I was growing up, fear is something that you shouldn't be um, feeling. <laughs> you have to be brave. You have to be strong. You know, if you think, talk about being worried or scared or even sad, um, you're, you're weak, right? Um, like, personally, like, my parents, my dad didn't want me to cry. Like, I, I got scolded if I cried. Um, but we do have to teach them that these are normal emotional feelings, that, um, normal emotions that you, you can have um, throughout your life um, and how to express them in it. Um, I talk about this all the time, you know, emotion identification, emotion uh, expression. Now, in terms of fear, I think it's really important to um, give them a little bit of solutions as well, especially younger the child. Um, you want to let them know, yes, you can have the fear, but here are some ways that you could overcome them, right? Um, and um, fear is something that I will talk about in not in third person. So I talk about myself. Um, I will say, yeah, uh, mommy used to be scared of monsters like you. Um, you know, it's that we call we call the pity monster, like the <laughs> the I don't know um, in in English, but they you know there's a book where um, this guy comes in and you know um plays on pd and all the kids follow them all the bad kids follow she so she has this like fear of teams coming together and um we talk about well i used to be scared too but well number one i realized that um it's actually not true and they don't exist but also um now that i'm getting older when i have those fears there are things that i can do in my head to fight them. What are the things that I can do to fight them? Well, number one, I remind myself they're not real. Number two, I actually have mom and dad in my household. They're not going to let me go. Like things that um, give you solution to that fear, um, I think is important for, especially for younger children to know, because they don't necessarily know that there are ways to overcome the fear. Thanks for that. Um, most of the victims that we see, um, unfortunately, um, look like our parents. They're older. Uh, they're definitely more vulnerable. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that I think we, we've now seen, uh, younger people get attacked. Um, but you know, but, uh, there, there seems to have been a trend of, uh, our elders our, our most vulnerable people getting attacked by vicious hate crimes. How do we have that conversation? Um, I, you know, I, I read something or heard something, which was that growing up, our parents told us um, to not make eye contact, to not speak up, to not get involved, 
uh, just safety and, and preservation of life was not only the priority, but almost the only goal as we were navigating lives here in America, just feeling like we didn't belong and that we weren't welcome here. And many of us told our parents what we feel, which is, no mom, no dad, we belong here. We have to speak up. I do have a voice. And then all this stuff happens and the short-term solution is don't go out, don't make eye contact, travel in pairs, and, and just all these things, is, which is a different version of what our parents told us to do just to simply survive and make it home that night. When, when, when In the long run, when we do that, the oppressors win because they, they've now conditioned us to a life of fear. Um, and I don't know what the short versus long-term solution is, but how do we have these conversations with our parents who um, must be seeing these videos, must be getting the news somehow, um, but as we all know, aren't really going to talk to us about it? How, how do we bring that up even? You know, this is a legitimate question and legitimate um, concern for a lot of people. Um, unfortunately, I don't have parents that uh, live in the state, but I have friends who live in New York City and San Francisco, and they do constantly worry about their parents who live in the city and they walk um, and use mass transit to, to get around. Um, you know, I think, like you said in the beginning, we're kind of sandwiched in, <laughs> in two generations where we have our children to worry about, but we also worry about our parents. Um, and I think it's the same, like when we first started talking and then started having the podcast uh, way back when, and we talked about, well, how do we tell our parents about coronavirus and make them stay in the house and not go out as much, right? Um, we worry because we love them. Do we always tell them that we love them? We don't. I don't, I don't think I tell my parents <laughs> that ever. Um, and I think you're right. Your parents are aware. Um, they see news, even if it's not American news, they see it. Um, and I think it's important to have, uh, start these conversations with your parents. It's, the silver lining is that there, um, these moments uh, are bad and big, but it, it is something that you can start uh, talking about and have a discussion with your parents and it, maybe it's not as awkward as like you know starting similar com conversation about racism when things are not happening so you can focus on incidents um and it might be easier i feel like with my parents or um just in general older asian parents feelings might not be the easiest way to talk about things because then it kind of they don't have words for them themselves. So the conversation kind of hesitant. Whereas if you can talk about the incident itself, um, and this is the time you can talk about, you know, um, anti race, uh, Asian racism, um, and misogyny and, you know, sexualization of Asian women, um, in a more concrete way. And I think the parents uh, actually are able to talk about these things when it's a little bit less personal first, then then you can talk about your own fear about your parents. 
um, it's a stepwise fashion. I know not you know not everybody has to have like a plan to talk to parents, but sometimes we do. I mean, I think I think of it um, as unfortunately we have to educate them just like we have to educate our children. And I'm we're lucky to be in a position where we can start those conversations. Um, you know, because some people don't have the opportunity. Thanks for that. Um, on, on the topic of parents, and this is something that uh, I've struggled with uh, for a very long time, and I don't know how many other folks listening uh, would resonate, um, is, and, and we've talked about this on the show, um, I don't think my parents identify, they don't identify as Asian American. Um, I, I don't know if they identify as Korean American. I think they still largely identify as Korean in America. Um, and, and that distinction is, is really important to, to the way they see um, politics and policy and uh, things that happen in this country. Um, and so because of the complex history that our parents and our grandparents lived through in Korea, overlaid with the uh, the rich history and, and some of the ugly history that has existed in Asia before, and, and when we see some of these uh hate crimes against Asian American, I think that um, a lot of our generation and younger uh, immediately and and actively uh, identify and collectively engage as an Asian American voice. Um, But I I find that some of the older folks don't. And for the Korean American community in particular, last week was the first time they actually were shocked by some of this. Because I do think that there's a little bit of, yeah, but it's not happening to us. It's not happening to Koreans, right? It's um, this might be a question that we can't answer, um, but w- what are some things that we can do or um, try uh, to to build empathy and and to build that understanding um, to to unify sort of the, the collective Asian American voice for people who may not identify as such. You know, this is a very uh, poignant question. You're actually um, giving me, um, and also in a way, a little bit personal because, um, I always talk about how I struggled with my own identity and this is like a lot of self-disclosure, but, um, you know, I came here as an international student when, uh, in my early teen years and my parents still live in Korea and it's, um, you know, I saw an interview that, um, Yoon Yajung did, she's the, um, grandma actress uh, that played grandma in Minari and she was talking about Minari and her children her grown children actually live in the states um it's pretty well known that she had spent some time in in America raising her children and went back and she said her son told her that she had he had not seen the movie yet and the reason being is that he could not get himself to watch it because every time he watched the trailer he would cry like sob cry um and she said well i guess that's the difference i don't find this movie that sad but i think that's because i am korean and he is a korean american um and i think that was very very like touching to me because um I, I find myself in the position where 
my parents are strictly Korean. They've never really lived in America. They are Korean citizens. Uh, their livelihood is in Korea, but yet I am Korean American. And you know, for me to come to terms with my identity as a Korean American and Asian American, even uh, going for it further, it took 29 years of being in America. Um, and so, you know, the identity piece is so interesting. But lately, and once I started to uh, think about myself as Korean American and Asian American, I think the reason that I actually think of my, uh, myself that is because in America, for us to have voice and a place, um, we have to have collective um, power. And in order to do that, we have to have be solid together as an um, entity being Asian Americans. And, and it's very difficult because we're such a heterogeneous um, population. Um, but I think to answer your question about how to get our elders to see that is, well, number one, these personal stories of the victims, I think is what gets other people. Um, that these victims were individuals that had children, that had family. They were just trying to make a living in this world, just like all of our parents and us. And personalization of these people, I think, is what makes the difference in um, most people who uh, see the media and think about, oh, that's not me, right? Because you can identify um, the similar uh, qualities in them and with you. The second portion is something that you do have to have a, a conversation with your parents and talk about, well, you know, you've come here and now I've, I myself, your child, consider, uh, identify as Asian American, but also my children will grow up to be Asian American. So in order for for us to make the world that's better for our children, then we have to um, have this identity as Asian Americans where we can pull power, pull uh, strength. And, and so, you know, this is part of the education that we have to give to our parents um, to talk about these things. Um, they were not talked about while they were working and raising us, but now because of what they have paid in their life, um, you know, the hard work and the sacrifice, we're in the position to be able to tell them this. It's hard. It, it, it's so hard. Um, and, and really, I, I don't, I, it, it pains me to say um, that people are finally starting to understand as a result of the travesty being so egregious. Um, but I, I hope that coming out of this, um, we talk differently to each other, that we uh, care for each other a little bit more, uh, far beyond our uh, Korean mentality or uh, Asian mentality, and, and just realize that what we're up against is hate. What we're up against is a country built on systems of oppression that have been around for four or 500 years, and um, a march or a vigil or an angry Facebook post isn't going to undo any of that. But we still have to continue to move forward to that. I before well, we wait for some questions. Um, yesterday, uh, you shared with me, and we shared it on the Asian Americans, a, a great collection 
in a curated list of resources that are available uh, to educators, to students, to parents, to allies, and, and just everybody. Um, so share with us a little bit about your work uh, with the MGH Center for Cross-Cultural uh, fin- <laughs> Emotional Wellness. It's Student a really emotional wellness. long name. M-G-H-C-C-C-S-E-W. I know the letters. I don't know. I always Yay. get confused what they stand for. Good for you. Uh, <laughs> tell, tell us your involvement with that organization. What, what do you do and uh, what, what does the organization do? And um, share, share with the group here or share with the audience uh, what was shared yesterday and why it's so important. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you for doing that. So, um, so I, uh, one of the things that I do is work with CCCSCW. Um, it is a nonprofit, all volunteer, uh, led, uh, organization that is affiliated with, uh, Mass General Hospital, which is the Harvard related, um, medical school, Harvard Medical School. Um, it was founded by Two of my dear colleagues now, um, they're uh, psychiatrists and child psychiatrists out of um, MGH um, of Chinese descent um, about six years ago, I think. It's, it's been around for a little bit now um, because to promote mental health um, and emotional wellness for Asian and Asian American students. And when we say students, anywhere from young children to, you know, um, people in that school and beyond. It came about because um, Justin Chen and Juliana Chen, the psychiatrist, um, they were in Boston, of course, in Boston area. There's a lot of um, students uh, of uh, Asian Americans and Asian international students, and they kept on getting all these um, requests to help them. Um, so, so of course, uh, they, <laughs> being being the uh, overachievers, they actually. <laughs> founded this organization, but it is purely run by a lot of the child psychiatrists and psychologists who are interested in this work of working with what we call cross-cultural um, students. And so there's many arms to our program. There's um, community outreach where we talk about um, not just mental health, but um, you know, family dynamics or how to get our children to be successful in life. Um, there's also research component where uh, I would say it was one of the very few places where um, Asian American research is being done. And then we also have a lot of research that we put out this past year. It's, they've been very productive and having different webinars on, um, well, you know, being an ally to BLM, um, you know, anti-Asian racism, even when this was like in May of 2020, how to help international students while COVID, because a lot of them had to be sent back. Um, so these are all web- different webinars that they provide for free. You just have to register and they are on our website. I work with them uh, specifically for making fact sheets. Um, they are science-based, evidence-based fact sheets on mental health of Asian Americans. So for example, um, we've done depression for Asian American students, alcohol abuse disorder. Um, there's a couple in the works for you know, perfectionism, acculturation stress. Um, and they're kind of a two-page pamphlet um, with all the information. Um, and they get 
translated into many different Asian languages and they are distributed for free. You can download them from the website for free as well. So this has been a very good educational um, resource for a lot of the communities. We do have COVID-19 um, science facts as well as the racism. That was done last July. And so, you know, to think that that is still relevant, even more relevant, is very sad. Um, the resource center that Jerry's talking about, so in the past week, um, the center have, um, staff have been very, very busy to get the resource center up because there's so many articles and um, personal essays and how to help um, these kind of educational resources that are kind of overwhelming because, and it's been kind of pouring out um, uh, in the media. So they made this research center where they sorted all the information into different categories. For example, there's categories for students, for families, parents, for educators, for therapists, um, for allies, and for organizations. So uh, some of them are collection of uh, resources from other people, but also there are collection of resources that the center has made so far. Um, and I find that to be a great resource center where you can find things very easily, which I couldn't do. Um, so that's been disseminated. And if you want to take a look, <coughs> it's in their website under racism. Susan, thank you for joining us. Hi. Uh, quick intro and then your question or comment for Dr. Cho. Okay. So my name is Susan Park. I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm 51. My family immigrated to America when I was five years old. In 1975, my parents are living in uh, Los Angeles as well. They're in their 70s. And I think one mental health issue that isn't really talked about um, in South Korea and uh, by Korean Americans is the fact that, you know, my parents' generation, you know, they were born at the tail end of Japanese occupation and they were young children when the Korean War happened. And that generation really suffers from a PTSD. I think sometimes, you know, Korean Americans and Asian Americans like to make jokes about our, like, crazy old Asian parents, but... Um, I really do think they suffer from PTSD. Both my parents lost siblings in like, you know, like there was air fire, gunfire. So that's something like I talk to my kids about when, um, you know, they're curious. They love my parents. But like, you know, sometimes my parents have like this kind of, um, you know, they, they, they're they like easily triggered. Um, they get really emotional. Um, you know, I remember growing up, my, my parents would just start sobbing randomly because they miss their siblings and stuff like that. So that's just something I wanted to um like just kind of introduce and put out there and I'm done speaking. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Susan. Um, and thank you for bringing that up because I think this is a really important um, piece of information that we always forget, um, especially given um, how developed Korea is now um, within such a short span. But you are correct. I think that um, the trauma that they've gone through is tremendous and um, nobody has ever talked about it and nobody processes them and uh, in addition I think a lot of the parents who are now in America um, they have the added trauma of immigration itself so there's a lot of what we call complex trauma where the traumas are um, all intertwined and in a way very triggering in many different ways that people don't can't even notice um, and I think that's something that we do have to talk a little bit more about, especially because 
generational trauma does trickle down. And, um, you know, the studies even show that people uh, who were born um, out of that veneration still have similar um, traumatic experiences or you know, reactions to certain things. And even it, it can, it can get even embedded into your DNA. Um, and that's what they studied for, um, you know, people who were imprisoned uh, in World War II. Um, and they studied the Jewish population for that. So I think you bring up a really, really good point that we have to be cognizant of what our parents have gone through and what their triggers are. And in a way, we do have to figure out a way to come to terms with those. Susan, thank you so much for that question. It is something that we, we, we talk about um, and then just understanding with empathy that our parents went through so much that they'll never share with us about. Um, our, our grandparents, um, if if they are, um, many of them went to the grave with secrets and then with stories that they'll never share um, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, having been, you know, against the, the, the middle generation, we're sometimes frustrated with what our parents haven't done for us or don't do for us from a emotional and, and mental well-being perspective. And sometimes we do need to be reminded that um, they went through so much and we probably um, would not be any faring any better um, from an objective perspective had we gone through that. So thank you so much, Susan. And, and I hope that you and your parents are staying safe and, and healthy during these times. Uh, we're going to bring up our, our last question here. Um, Kim Joyce um, is joining us here on stage. So uh, Kim, welcome. And uh, hi, how are you doing? Hi, good. Thanks. Sorry. Uh, this is my first time doing this. So uh, forgive me if I'm doing it a little uh, obtusely. Um, my name's Kim Joyce. I'm from Washington, D.C. I uh, grew up in North Carolina where my mom immigrated with uh, my dad, who was a retired Air Forceman. Um, there's, and I'm just going to explore a little bit with my mom's relationship in particular right now, just because over the past few years, especially as I've gotten uh, well into my 30s and have been trying to find a path to get to know both of my parents on a human level, um, me and my mom have actually been exploring a lot of uh, her past hurts and traumas, and I'm learning a little bit more every time about her experiences in, in, as an immigrant. Um, also, as we were, we owned the Asian market in my little town uh, all growing up in my childhood. And so there was just things that I think my Samsung still owns the Korean market or Asian market in my town. Um, but something that I've found helpful when navigating these conversations uh, is acknowledging that the traumatic experiences she faced um, and reaching her American dream, which she did, it's me and my brother and her family here in her life. Um, she had no idea that the American dream was almost maybe unattainable for me and my brother. Um, and she didn't quite know what monster of a struggle would be for the second gen. So I'm seeing so much of a first generation versus a second generation um, trajectory and our impact, like the struggles are different, but they're both in different types of survival mode. And we in this room have no idea what's going to happen to third generation. Right. Uh, so I just think that me and her have found a place where we acknowledge each other's struggle and have learned to how to talk about it 
to each other, which is, I know, very different than a lot of other Korean mothers or fathers. But it's gotten us to a better place in navigating, like, how I can worry for her and uh, she can worry for me. But either way, it's not... um, something that's offensive or weak or anything like that so I don't know if this emulate or resonates with any of you but I just wanted to share that thank you so much Kim I'm I'm very impressed and in awe uh, of what you have done with your mom and also your point in validating how hard it has been for her um, as an immigrant I think that is quite amazing because um, I think it took me like 10 to 15 years of being in, <laughs> in training to get there. Um, so, so I can, I can, I can't say, um, you know, how awesome it must be for you to be able to do that, especially with your own mother. Um, and I think, you know, with, the, with our parents, um, like, how your um, relationship with your mom grew by uh, seeing your mom as a person instead of just a mom. Um, I think that's what we need to do. Um, And it kind of goes back to uh, me talking about um, personal narratives of those victims that um, were victims in Atlanta. Um, So we have to look into what kind of person and how they grew up and what kind of adversities they've faced um, in terms of talking about our parents to look at them as a whole person. Uh, I think that's a really hard thing to do as a child. Um, and I don't, I don't think I was able to do that for my own parents until, you know, late thirties um, and with a lot of therapy. So you know, it's a work in progress, but the fact that it can be done um, and that you have done it, I think it's very um, hopeful for sure. Thank you so much, Kim. Uh, thank you, Susan, for uh, jumping on and um, bravely sharing your, your your comments and questions. Um, as we wrap today, uh, again, first and foremost, uh, we hope that you are doing okay. And if you're not, um, reach out to somebody. Uh, reach out to a friend, a family member, um, reach, reach out to somebody in your network, uh, create spaces, uh, reach out to us if you want. Um, I have no idea how to deal with this. Um, you know, it is something that we are not, uh, in general equipped to deal with. Um, and in particular, uh, being Korean Asian Americans, um, something that we were not necessarily encouraged to talk about. And so, um, we hope that you're taking care. And we hope that you are taking care of, um, or that you are being taken care of by your your partners in your relationships, your family. And so, uh, any final thoughts, uh, Jang, before we say thank you and and see you next time? Well, um, thank you so much for being here today um, and listening to me monologue a lot. Um, But also, thank you for um, asking questions and listening. I also echo uh, Jerry's sentiment, uh, and I really want you to take time for yourself. Um, This has been a really difficult week for everybody, and in order to take care of everybody else, we have to take care of ourselves first. So I would like you to be able to do that, even if it's 10, 15 minutes um, this week. 
Yep. And I'll add, we all are dealing with this in a different way. So don't feel pressured. Don't feel bullied. Don't feel ashamed because you're grieving and you're processing this differently. Um, if you want to drink some soju and watch some Korean dramas, makes you feel better, do that. If you want to read a book, do that. Um, I know there's a lot going on and almost every day there's another video of another incident, another attack. Um, and, uh, just as we are, are sharing this, uh, if you're hearing this right, or if you're in this clubhouse room right now, it's Tuesday at 11 Pacific AM. If you're hearing this on the podcast, it should be uh, Thursday, the 25th. Um, the Korean American Coalition of uh, Metro Atlanta is hosting a national vigil uh, that is going to be held live in Atlanta, but also live streamed uh, digitally for all uh, supporters to watch. Uh, that is happening at 7.30 Pacific. I'm sorry, 7.30 Eastern this Friday. Um, and so that's uh, 4.30 here on the West Coast. The website is 326vigil.org. Um, the event will be in both Korean and in English. Uh, they are just getting this information out to the local community organization. So uh, we'll be sharing it on our Instagram and across the other uh, platforms that we manage. So again, uh, if you are able to join the Korean uh, Korean American Coalition of Metro Atlanta um, in partnership with uh, Korean American Vote and the Dale Foundation um, are, are getting together and, and hosting a vigil to remember the lives lost. Um, and, and there will be a fundraising component of this uh, and then they'll share the details soon. So um, thank you so much. Um, if, if, if you would like to chat or ask us a question, uh, please reach out. Um, hope you're staying well and healthy and um, don't forget to do something to uh, smile today. Thank you, Dr. Cho. Thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye now.